0: We're the Satellite Sisters.
1: We're the Satellite
0: Sisters. I'm Sheila
2: Dolan here with my sisters, Liz, Leon, and Julie. Monica Dolan is in Portland, Oregon. Welcome to You're the Best Encore Interviews from the Satellite Sisters. J.J. Abrams is with us.
0: J.J., thank you for being here. Thank
1: you so much for having
0: me. You know okay. Tina Brown. She's an award-winning journalist. Tina, welcome to Satellite Sisters. I'm so thrilled to be with you guys.
2: Oh, we love this book. Robin Roberts, we're so thrilled to have you here on Satellite Sisters. Welcome to the show. You know, Liz, my sister would have busted
0: me like that, too. <laughs> welcome to You're the Best. Best. Best encore interviews.
2: Encore
1: interviews from the Satellite Sisters. From the Satellite Sisters.
0: This Satellite Sisters year, the best encore interview is with Elizabeth Edwards from 2006. I'm Leanne Dolan. I'm here with my sisters, Julie Dolan and Liz Dolan. And this interview is really special to listen to. Again, she was a political wife, but just a, also a political force that I can say that I admired. Julie, Liz. I think you felt the same way. We spoke to Elizabeth from her home right when her book, Saving Graces, came out. And this was her first memoir. Um, she had been diagnosed with breast cancer right after her then-husband, John Edwards, uh did, did not win the 2004 election. Uh, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. She had also been through the death of a teenage son. And she wrote in that memoir extensively about her own grief and dealing with grief and the kindness of family and strangers. And she was one of the people on Satellite Sisters that I will literally never forget talking to because she, she just was so warm and so genuine. And, and that's not easy to do, that, that combination, is it? No, I,
1: you know, she talked about a lot about the power of her girlfriends, you know, which is interesting. When I was listening to this, in, listening back to this interview, you know, they were really important to her in her, you know, dealing with the grief of the loss of her son it's also interesting how she doesn't really mention her husband, you know, in this interview, you know, when, and, and I was listening to it. This was done in 2006. I also had the, you know, the thought, gosh, she has so much more pain ahead of her. Right. And I know. she doesn't even know it, but she was such a strong woman. And, uh, and you know and she so it's it's just a very compelling interview because a lot of us go through very painful things and and to listen to her and how she de- dealt with it how she did fall down she did you know she wasn't she wasn't always strong like her public persona it was it was really uh inspiring
2: yeah and this is liz i agree with you julie that there's something so poignant in us being in a position to know as we know now, as we listen to this interview, that she had so much more sadness and so much more tragedy and even humiliation yeah. to face in her life. Right. Um, yeah, you don't hear any of that in her voice. She could not have known what was to come, but she's just a, such a positive, lovely person and, you know, mainly focuses on, she said, people feel the need to have connections. And I think that uh, obviously we believe that too. That's why we do satellite sisters. But that that was so true in just the way she conducted herself in the world. So I'm with you, Lee, and I really, really admired Elizabeth Edwards when she first came on the scene. Just. What a breath of fresh air because Mm -hmm. she was such a normal person. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think if you're listening to this interview now and you're wondering, what can I get out of it? If you're going through any kind of grief at all or any kind of difficulty, she has some really important things to say about that that are still 100% relative. So this is our Satellite Sisters conversation with Elizabeth Edwards from 2006.
2: Hey, Sheila, do you ever get a vibe from someone in public life, whether you've ever met them or not? You just sort of see them on TV or you see them at a public appearance and think, that is a satellite, sister. Yes. You know, sometimes you can just tell. And that's the way I have always felt about Elizabeth Edwards since she burst on the public scene as the wife of senator and then vice presidential candidate. John Edwards. Elizabeth Edwards' new book is Saving Graces, Finding Solace and Strength from Friends and Strangers. Elizabeth, welcome to Satellite Sisters.
3: Uh, It's great to be with you.
2: (laughs) You know, I kind of feel like whatever your husband decides to do with his future, you know, that's out of our hands, but I'd like to see you in some kind of specially created post like America's next door neighbor, or just like (laughs) solid gold satellite sister. (laughs) Because you do seem to have that sort of empathy for all, and that's why it's such a pleasure to see you sort of back out in public life and talking to people.
3: Uh, it, it, it is actually great to be back out. Um, I, I did feel a little like I had crawled into a hole for a while, but. Uh Uh, but it's great to be back and then also great to be with you all.
2: Yeah, you know, well, you crawled into a hole for a reason. I'm sure most people know that you were diagnosed with breast cancer in November of 2004. You've been in treatment since then. So you went, you went right from a hard fought, like multi-year general election to chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, all of that. Has there ever been a moment, has it even happened to you yet, where you thought, okay, now my life is back to normal?
3: Uh, yeah, I I had like this little brief moment, um, (laughs) A few uh, a couple of months ago we because after everything was over, then we were building a new house, and so i was I still felt like i was uh, not in a hole, but I was living out of boxes and I didn't feel like I had my life back and a couple of months ago we moved into the new house we built uh, out in the country in North Carolina, and uh, I love it, and it, everything's great. Just, uh, so idyllic. And then, of course, I started a book tour. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and, and real life went back out the window again. I'm hoping to get that back again in November.
2: <laughs> all right. Well, we hope that for you, too, Elizabeth. You know, I guess I was surprised, and the sisters, we were all talking about this, that I mean, the book is so personal uh, in a way that in some sections it's just completely gut-wrenching when you talk about losing your son, Wade, in an auto accident when he was 16. And part of me was surprised that a, a public person who's exposed to so much scrutiny anyway would want to put so much of her personal pain on the page. Was there ever a part of you that wanted to withhold parts of your story, particularly the parts about losing your son?
3: Well, not when I was writing it, because my purpose in writing it, I mean, it wasn't just that, uh, you know, I want to put up, I want to write a book. I actually thought I had something to say, because I... Uh, we don't. We our models for grieving are few and far between, uh-huh. and people think and and would say to me, you know, who, people who knew we lost a son would say, "You're so strong," and I'd say, "You have no idea. I'm not." Um, and I thought it was better that people have a realistic view that they not think. In addition to being so unhappy about a loss that they, they also then think i'm so weak that's the reason i'm a puddle on the bottom on the floor mm-hmm. you know i wanted to say i was also a puddle on the floor it doesn't matter whether our names in the paper some things are going to knock us down right. and knock us down hard and and not so that people don't hold themselves up to unrealistic expectations and that was part of the purpose of the book so if i didn't do the i'm on the floor part I, I hadn't accomplished what I intended to accomplish at all. But I did reliving. Re, mm-hmm. yeah. I do feel exposed by it, I have to say. But yeah. yeah.
2: Well, reliving many of those years must have been really painful for you. I mean, you write very descriptively about the grief and you're reaching out, but then you also note that your brother, who is a filmmaker, I think it's on the day of Wade's funeral, right? He, he filmed all the kids in the house sort of talking about Wade. So right. he would have a record of that. And you've never been able to look at that film.
3: I can't, and there there may come a day that I'm able to do it, but, you know, I think there's a chance that I'll never will, I mean, these, Wade's friends are now uh, in their, it's been 10 years, so they're 26, 27 years old, they're Mm -hmm. starting to get married, I can't, I haven't been able to go to a funeral, there are things that I can't do, but, but I can think about Wade, and uh did you say you can't go to a funeral i mean not a funeral not a funeral a um a, oh, one of their weddings i mean oh i they're, see mm-hmm. i said it wrong they're, they're 27 and 28 and in there a lot of them are getting married i haven't been able to go to any of their weddings because i think i would see wade's absence but when oh, really? i talk about him in a sense it's almost like i feel his presence as opposed to his absence and um and that's uh, and that's comforting in some ways Now, not that it was easy to write the book parts of it were very hard to write
0: parts of it are hard to read elizabeth if you're a mom if you've ever lost a child i mean devastating devastating to read did you you know at the time of wade's death did people try to tell you how to grieve did you think you could do one thing or did you have feelings like oh i should be doing this but instead i'm I'm going to his grave every day I'm, i'm reading his 12th grade curriculum to him
3: you know, people who care about you want you to, quote, get better. Yeah. And so they're constantly saying things in hopes that you will get better, that you will somehow regain your old self. And you have to remember all the time that they're telling you these things which you do not want someone to have to, to tell you, that they're trying to help. They're trying to be helpful even if they aren't. Uh, everybody has to grieve in exactly their own way. I got a lot of advice, Uh, particularly, you know, as years went on and I was still, you know, I was still... uh Um, grieving still going to the the grave daily and people you know tried to to get me out of it but my i think having done it my way gone through what i felt i needed to it makes it possible for me to live the life i'm living now to write the book um because i I went through the steps that felt right to me and i that's what i encourage people to do whatever feels right to them
0: you know it kind of uh... I would imagine helps you now sort of remove all judgment when you look at other people and the way they live their life.
3: Right, both ways really. Yeah. You know, but, but you know, if they're looking at you judging you, you let that go and if and when you're looking at them, you don't judge them. Um, uh,
2: Elizabeth <laughs> Edwards is with us. You know, there's so much that you that you write about in here that just struck me as so the spirit of satellite sisterhood. That particularly you seem really good Elizabeth that reaching out to your friends when you need help and i think for a lot of people going through a crisis whether it's losing a child or being in a general election or going through breast cancer treatment what sometimes what's really hard about any of those kinds of things is sort of saying to people i need your help or can you do this for me and and rallying their friends around them there's a tendency maybe to withdraw in but that was never your instinct uh well
3: maybe sometimes it was i mean you know, we're moms, we're sisters, uh, we're supposed to we're supposed to take care of it, you know, yeah. and yeah. We're, the, we're sort of the last resort. We're the person who gets it done if somebody else doesn't finish it, finish a job. And so, you know, we ne- we, we're almost never the person who asks for help in our real lives. But, but I, was, I really want to encourage people when they're in a time like this, your friends want to help you. If you tell them exactly what you need, so much the better. Then they're not doing that thing you don't want. In fact, uh, they're doing something that makes them feel like, like they're 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 helping their friends. So, you're doing something for yourself, but you're really also doing something for your friends who want to want to help.
2: You know, normally when I read a, a memoir like this, though, I wonder who really helped this person get through it, or who did they rally around? And what's so unusual and lovely about your book, Elizabeth, is that you're constantly giving credit to your own satellite sisters. It's You've got this gang of, like, and it's a very disparate group, like people on the North Carolina basketball email <laughs> fan <Yeah>. site. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't normally think of reaching out to, like, my sports email friends to help me get through a giant Loss, but you did and they, it was very powerful for you to have those people in your life
3: it wasn't you know it's part of um you know i think living well my, my dad taught me how to how to reach out to, to people and not just to engage them on some superficial levels but to try to you know really tell them you know we are sisters or you know we're connected and uh because there was great joy in that connection it turns out there's another advantage to the connection and that is when you need it you have those people and so i had them in this wide net an incredibly wide net of people so i mean i felt i always felt that i had support i did feel a lot, alone a lot um, because grieving for example is a very lonely experience and some of the chemotherapy was a very lonely experience but the but uh but when uh, when i had time to to reflect i realized i was surrounded by affection and uh that made it a lot easier
2: you know, when you write about being out and touring around the country during the presidential campaign, that women, and I'm sure men too, did come up to you, and they felt this special bond with you because they knew that you had lost a child. Um, were those the same kind of people that rallied around you then when the news came out that you had breast cancer? I mean, really, the election wasn't even over in many people's minds where you sort of lurched into this next crisis in your life.
3: I think that people feel the need to have connections, and it's sometimes when we feel more vulnerable, as when we've lost a child, the need for that connection is even greater. Um, I found in people who have who have been through breast cancer, both whether they've suffered from it or someone from their family has suffered from it, they want to make the connection. It um, it validates their experience, or it comforts them to know they're not on this path alone. Uh, All of those uh, feelings, I think encourage people to make the connection, but I had connections too from people with whom none of those things were true, um, because I also think it's just a basic need. We, we need one another, and so when the opportunity pre- presents itself to make the connection, um, I'm gratified that a lot of people do try to do that.
0: You know, Elizabeth, this is Leanne. You seem extraordinarily close to your daughter, Kate. You know, did you let her read the book? As as you were writing it, or was it something you know? Kate is in. I guess she's at law school now, right? She is. She was working
3: at the time I was writing. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, was she surprised at some of the things that she read, or because she had lived through it? Did did she know that, or has that changed your relationship with
3: her? Um, it hasn't uh, uh, changed. I don't think. I'm you know, I'm, there. But though, I think there were parts she didn't know. Uh, parts John didn't know, Uh, my online life, my online support system, you know, was something between me and the computer, basically, and while they were in the other room, you know, reading or doing whatever they were doing. Uh, So they did not participate in that, and so some of that was a surprise, and some of it was difficult for them to read as well. But, um, and I I did send her things, but Mm -hmm. but I I was afraid in her busy life. Right. (laughs) She wouldn't actually read them. Right. (laughs) So, So when it was something about her, I would call her and read her the section that was about her because I I didn't want her to feel uncomfortable because there are things in there it could expose her to.
2: Our guest is Elizabeth Edwards. Her new book is Saving Graces, Finding Solace and Strength from Friends and Strangers. Elizabeth, I think most of the public knows you have two little kids, Emma Claire and Jack. And where are they right now? We saw them a lot during the campaign, sort of kind of like you were constantly trying to control <laughs> to their movements.
3: Yeah. <laughs> T- trying to stop them in Wisconsin, for example, uh, for put, from putting the cheese heads on each other and, and ramming them while John was trying to speak during a rally. <laughs> uh,
2: oh,
0: yeah, I could just picture that. Of course that's what they would do with those big cheese head
3: things. <laughs> and, and, uh, um, uh, Emma, Clay, I, we went to uh, Target this morning in order to buy them things to keep them busy during this interview. Emma okay. is plopped down in front of a television watching a new video. Jack is standing right beside me saying, uh, who are you talking to? <laughs> <laughs> I think
0: anybody, any mother or parent who has tried to make a conference call from home, from work, can know, when it, When does the dog start barking? That's what we <laughs> want to know. Because then it's a real Satellite Sisters
3: interview if you can hear your dog in the back. That's right, or the dishwasher overflow. <laughs> Do
0: you have a big soccer weekend this weekend? Is that what's going on at your house or what happens on the weekends? Yeah, can yeah, you I, relax
3: ever? Uh, no, yeah, no. This has been a reasonably relaxing weekend um, in the middle of the book tour. But uh, except that I was hoping to see John, but he's uh, he's out doing political business, and I get him back this afternoon. Um, and uh, the children are this. Uh, this is a strange fall where they're not signed up for sports.
0: Okay,
3: you. Uh, but but uh, we have basketball trials. Uh, Tuesday. So okay, we're about, we're about to get back into it.
0: Okay, so you're gearing up, and yeah. you can admit to us, Jack. You can just say yes or no. Aren't you relieved they're not doing any sports? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You well, can... you know,
3: because of the book tour, I really am relieved. You know, and I would I would have, I would have added the guilt of not being there for things. To all of the other guilt for a bigger way,
2: right? <laughs> Just <laughs> what working mothers need—more guilt. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> the
0: gallery of guilt.
2: I like yeah. to call it
0: the gallery of guilt.
2: <laughs> you know, you've been through breast cancer treatment since your diagnosis in November two thousand four. You write about it like so movingly in the book, but it's also so obvious that after having gone through the death of your son, the breast cancer was something you could actually like rally around this was something where the whole family and your friends all of your you know your own satellite sisterhood felt like okay this we can do is that the feeling you had
3: it really was I mean because you know it was very frustrating with Wade's death he wanted to be able to do something but he died instantly and we could not do anything so the very the very uh thought that we had the opportunity to fight was all we needed to grab hold of and, yeah. and I sort of encouraged people you know you don't start dying early, don't accept you know don't accept the a diagnosis as a death sentence uh, this is your chance to rally and fight and and that's that's how we felt of course sometimes it got you down i mean it's it's- t- it's physically tough mm-hmm. um but uh but we still kept that you know I think even through all of it uh, even the worst moments kept this um we were just uh, this great feeling of hope
2: but it's just it's also so so confusing the way you write about sort of the beginning stages of the diagnosis and the treatment it's like you had so many doctors and you were getting so much conflicting advice and it's just everyone i've ever talked to who's had any kind of serious illness just had this feeling like man why am i the one that has to figure this out why does this need to be so complicated
3: yeah it, it is and you know and I, I, it, it, again it's like people helping you when they're grieving everybody's trying to do the right thing but, but you do feel bombarded, and, and I, 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 I really turned a lot of it over to John because emotionally I just wasn't prepared to, to sort this stuff out, and he spent you know time talking to doctors or on the phone with people uh, so that he knew, so he, he would con- uh, convince himself that the path we were taking was the best, best path. And,
2: well, you write about being in the hospital one time and seeing a single mother in the hospital corridor with her two little kids and just thinking, how could you ever get through this by yourself?
3: I know you you you' you know they you feel blessed in a lot of ways, even in the midst of this, if you have somebody beside you to help you out and and I you know this woman was was you know had more on her plate than uh than most people do without the cancer, and then you add the cancer on top of that i i uh I realize that we need to do a lot for um our sisters who are fighting this alone and I've been trying to do some of that work uh since uh since i've uh, been cancer free reach out and, and help raise money for these adjunct services you know, are you cancer free now how
2: is your health are, do you can't, do you consider free. yourself wow it's that's it's not, fantastic
3: yeah not they, they don't use cured anymore right um, because you, you still have an increased chance of getting it again so you can't be actually cured but but uh, cancer free and that i'm satisfied with that
2: well we are very happy for you elizabeth thank Thanks. you so much for y'all are delightful
1: Thanks for listening. You're the best. For more You're the Best Encore interviews or Satellite Sisters podcast.
2: go to SatelliteSisters.com or iTunes. And don't forget, call your Satellite Sister. Call your Satellite Sister. Call your Satellite Sister.